welcome back to another edition of Food for Thought, a Pipes Magazine radio show bonus uh, bonus show. And this time, we're we're talking about uh, home brewing. We're talking about beer uh, or all kinds of different stuff that you can home brew because I know nothing about this. And we're we're talking about it with a uh, with a pipe maker, musician, friend of mine, Jody Davis. Jody, welcome back. Hey, glad to be here. It's always fun to talk to you. Yeah, and and you are. I don't know how to put this politely, but I think you're part scrounge and part mad scientist and part if you can, <laughs> if you don't have to, if if you can make it yourself, you're going to make it yourself, right? Uh, you know, I'll try my hand at it anyway. <laughs> you know, I just, just for some reason, I just seem to be built that way. I think, think the uh, even with music, I think the reason why I probably became a guitar player was because you know I loved music when I was a kid and just thought, well, I wonder how you do that. <laughs> so then I, you know, start playing guitar, yeah. and uh, so I think that's just carried over into everything. I, you know, I. You know, started collecting old estate pipes and just fell in love with the pipes. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder how you make a pipe. And then started making pipes. Same goes with, uh, you know, of course, extension of the music thing and the pipe thing. I started, you know, I built myself some guitars and a few other people some guitars because I, you know, just got curious and how it was done and if I could do it. I love to learn and and study things and. I just wish I would I would do it with something practical. <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't get into flying airplanes or something, because then you'd be out there building your own plane. I was I was very close to, to going to flight school. <laughs> I was very close, and then ended up actually I was thinking about that just before uh, when I went on hiatus with the band. I was was talking about that with a few people and was was thinking about starting classes and then you know whole world turned upside down for a little bit there so i i uh, dropped those ambitions yeah and uh, never never revisited that <laughs> well we're, we're probably we're, we're probably safer for that um that's for sure <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> but let, let, let's talk. Let's talk home brewing because you got into okay. it. You got into it big time. When did it? We know why you got into it because you're kind of crazy. Um, but when did when did you first try to brew a beer? Well, actually, uh, when I first started uh, was way back in the nineties. And, uh, you know, just got the bug. This was really about the same time started playing around with pipes as well. And uh, I, I'm not even sure really um, what got me thinking about it, but I, you know, picked up a book and started reading about it and picked up a few ingredients and some things. And, you know, I, I did what's called extract brewing, which was – it's kind of your entry level thing you do when you when you think you want to start brewing beer. And uh, back then there wasn't nearly the information that there is now. And uh, you know it was uh, you know I'm sanitizing you know bottles in my bathtub 
and you know just just all this crazy stuff and and you know it was a lot of fun i didn't make anything that was good per se but you know you uh you you uh you give yourself a lot of uh forgiveness whenever you make it yourself you know so so we all drank it and all loved it and thought it was great but looking back now i realized how horrible it really was but uh, but you know really it was pipe making that kind of got me to sort of put that little hobby down because the more i got into pipe making it was taking up you know all my time that i wasn't spending playing music and uh, so i just got you know just slowly drifted away from brewing and then didn't pick it up again until about probably i don't know now maybe four years ago three or four years ago and uh and man when i started i had a buddy that was our he was our uh monitor engineer at the time and he was way into it and uh yeah, he, he, you know, he was. We were talking. We were talking about it because you know I had a little experience at it, and so that really got me thinking about it. And I was like, oh man, I want to, I want to do it again. So I <laughs> bought some basic equipment again, started extract brewing. In a very short time, started doing all grain brewing, um, and uh, it, it, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And, and you know, now nowadays there's there's so much great beer out there. And, and you know local beer even and and stuff made in the u.s but back in the 90s you know there was just there was nothing you 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 were looking for you know imports were a big thing and uh, uh i remember back then we would love it when we go to europe you're like oh man there's gonna be really great beer there you know <laughs> yeah. now i go to europe i'm like ah unless you're into unless you get into real traditional stuff like you go to belgium or something like that and you know you can get into the tradition of it there and there are some great places especially when you get into the more local stuff that's not widely distributed but you know now it's just gone to such a level here that you know you can just find all kinds of really good, really fresh, really well-made stuff, basically let, anywhere. <laughs> let, let's back up a minute, because I want to know what the you said: extract brewing, and then wheat, or uh, and then whole grain brewing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's the difference? Well, an extract is basically it's kind of a it's, it's a malt syrup basically made from grain and it's it's sort of what you do when you all grain brew you 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 get these enzymes to convert uh uh the starches into sugar in these grains and then you extract that sugar and then that's what you brew with that's the liquid that you brew with and okay. basically an extract brewing is they do that and then they they uh, you know remove a lot of the water so it's more like a syrup so then you're just like reconstituting you can do you can do there's also dry malt extract as well so it's like a powder and you just reconstitute it and then you've taken that whole section of brewing out of the equation so then you can kind of develop what you do from that point okay so it's a so it's it's a bit of a starter kit yeah it's a way to sort of get going 
where you don't have to learn a massive amount of stuff all at once. You can kind of get some processes down for the back half of brewing, which is, you know, the, a big part of it, the fermentation and, and the, you know, you're kind of, kind of build recipes a little easier and you can, and, and uh, uh, the bottling or the kegging and you get all kind of that side of it sort of under your belt and kind of know what you're doing before you go into making your, what is called wort, which is beer pre-fermentation. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the grain, it's all those sugars that's been extracted from the grain and, you know, whatever adjuncts you might want to use. And, uh, yeah, so it's a little, it's a simpler way to go. You don't need as much equipment. And uh, you can make some pretty decent beer. Depends on what you're shooting for. If you want to make something that's very light in body and light in color, that's not a very good way to go. Because by the nature of the the uh, extracts, how they get that water out of the you know they boil it out or however they get it out. Generally, even the lightest extracts are still you know, have a bit of color to them and, you know, has a certain flavor to it. So it's very difficult to make a light, light beer from an extract. But if you're going to do some stouts or porters, you can actually get some pretty good results. All right. And then the, and then the other way you can, you can modify it and do all the tweaks that you want and get that basic extract ready to, yeah. So further customize it. Yeah, there's an there's an infinite number of of grains, uh, you know, of uh, barley for the most part. Most of it's barley. There's and you, you can use rye, you can use you know malted, you can use corn, you can use rice, you know, the stuff that's been malted, uh, and uh, and extract those sugars from those as well. But even just in the barley categories, you know, you have sort of base malts which are um you know lightly basically uh, grains that have been uh, made to germinate as soon as they start to germinate they stop that process by posting it and so they do that you know they, they they do that as little as possible for the most part so you have a really light um grain a light your base grains are kind of like the idea is to get lots of starches and enzymes and uh, and a light uh, toast, just enough to stop that germination. So then you have that as your base, and then you add grains that have been even more toasted or ones that were never germinated and roasted and toasted, and you, you can do all these combinations with those, some that are just, just you know, roasted black, and then some that are, you know, that have been... You know, there's just all sorts of different, um, or roasted with different moisture levels in them, things like that. I mean, it's like, there's all these different things they do to create. It's kind of like if you have like a, 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 say you have, you you talk about like Virginia's, like tobaccos. Okay, well, Virginia's, this might be your base, but there's all kinds of little subtle things you can do to those Virginia tobaccos to make them have a little bit different flavor here and there and you can blend those in a lot of different ways to create you know different types of blends well that's kind of what you're doing with the grain 
and so you, so you take that grain and uh, then you you hit it with uh, uh, water certain temperatures you want to you want it to most beers you're gonna you're gonna uh, steep this in water that's around 150 to 155 and what that does is that wakes those enzymes up they get in there they start breaking down those starches turning them into sugars the interesting thing is that depending on the temperature that you're hitting this grain with and how long you let it sit it will um, it will work on different starches huh I mean, I'm not, I'm not maybe not explaining this exactly right yeah. but, but like if you hit it with a higher temperature it'll it'll extract these sugars that yeast don't necessarily like so um, that sweetness will stay in the beer and if you if you keep your temperatures lower your beer will be drier and less sweet wow because of the types of sugars that get extracted it's kind of crazy <laughs> we're not we're not talking about a big swing either you're talking about uh, you know you know typically 148 to 155 you know so you try what you do is you, is you it's called strike water you 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 have to do these calculations of uh, um, figuring out what your temperature of your grain is, the temperature of your strike water needs to be to hit a specific temperature of say 152. So you're heating to 160, 160 and a half your water, and your grain's at 70 degrees. And when you put a certain amount of water with a certain amount of grain, it's going to hit 152. So you you do those calculations. There's a lot of apps and things that you can use to do that. You don't have to sit there and do all the math necessarily. Oh, good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you no telling what I'd be turning out. But, um, uh, yeah. So you hit that. You hit you, you hit strike water. You let that rest usually for about an hour, and that's where those changes happen. And then uh, you pull off the liquid, and that's your that's your wort. That's what you start. And then you boil that, and then during your boil, you usually boil that for about an hour. And that, um, you know, does a lot of things. Chemical changes um, gets rid of uh, what's there's uh, these precursors to something called dimethyl sulfide, which is something you don't want in your beer. It makes it taste like cream corn. Um, <laughs> so you, you boil off these precursors. You you know you homogenize it. Get rid of anything that would that would uh, any bacteria or uh, you know yeast that would uh, would have been on the grain before and. Uh, and also, you boil out some of the water. You know, you make the you make it a little more intense, and uh, then you take that, put it in a sanitized uh, fermentation chamber, which could be a glass carboy, could be a plastic bucket, food grade plastic bucket. It could be stainless steel conical fermenter. I mean, it could be. There's a lot of different ways to go. Depending on how much money you want to spend and how crazy you want to get with it, and uh, put it in there, and then you pitch a pitch yeast, and there's many, many different strains of yeast and types of yeast, and they all kind of do different things. 
But essentially what they all do is they all eat sugar and they pee alcohol and they fart carbon dioxide. So <laughs> that's that's where your that's where your uh, alcohol and eventually your carbonation comes from if you naturally carbonate. <laughs> so, yeah. you, so you're pretty much <laughs> describing me after dinner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Might have missed your calling. Yeah. Should have been yeast. <laughs> I, I I do tend to rise to the occasion, but um, anyway, we, yeah. All right. So, how much time do we have into the process up to this point? Well, um, typical brew day. The time you you uh, you, know, you if you're doing all grain, and you're you know usually you start heating the water. Uh, while you're grinding the grains, that's what I like to do. I like to measure out my grains, start heating my water. Because you know, when you're when you're heating up, I use propane burners. Um, but when you're heating up, you know, okay, so say your for your strike water, if you're going to heat up, depending on the size of your batch, usually you do five gallon batches because that's that's you know carboys. You can buy those in five and six gallon. Most of your fermenters are kind of that big, and uh, kegs that you use are old uh, soda kegs. They're called uh, corny kegs, Cornelius kegs, okay. and they're five gallons. So that's kind of become the standard for home brewing. Like you do five or ten gallons. It's usually all divided five, ten, fifteen because of the size of the equipment that's around. So if you're doing a five gallon batch, you're gonna you're gonna heat up probably. For strike water, uh, initially you're going to heat up a, probably you know four or four and a half gallons of water. Um, then you'll have what's called sparge water, which is water that you run through the grain to pull out more of the sugars as it's draining off the bottom. And uh, so I usually heat up like ten gallons of sparge water, so I have a bunch of extra hot water around to clean stuff or do whatever with. And uh, but it actually takes a long time to heat that much water up. You know, it takes yeah. kind of an hour or so for that water to, to get up to the temperature that you want it to be. So you got time to kind of prepare other things. Uh, you know, so you, you long and short of it, it, takes about six hours from the time you start grinding grains to the time that you're, you've cleaned and put away the last piece of equipment. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so the, 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 the thing that is that you have to get your mind around is that about 70% of what you're doing in a brew day is janitorial. Basically, <laughs> 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 you're cleaning and sanitizing equipment. <laughs> There's a whole lot of that that goes on. Because you're uh, after after the boil, see when you move it in uh, from your anything that happens to it after it's boiled has to be sterile. And so you got to keep everything yourself, your hands, all your equipment. Everything has to be sterile at that point into the carboy, or else it gets contaminated by outside bacteria and yeast, and then that just creates off flavors. It's not really any thing, you know, carcinogen-wise that happens. It's just the flavor won't be right. Yeah. 
<laughs> so you always want to cook with clean pots and pans. Well, you know, well, at least everything after the after things have been heated and when they start to cool. Basically, if heated, it's it's pasteurized at that point. But as soon as it starts to cool, then all that bacteria can come back. Now let let's jump ahead to the types of beers that you've done. Uh, okay. Uh, it, I, I'm. I know you well enough to know that you've probably experimented around with a whole bunch of really odd things. Um, <laughs> I've tasted yeah. one of them. <laughs> Which one was that? <laughs> uh, was it the oh. uh, the Perique one? Oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. So what all of you tried to do, what didn't work out, what worked out? Oh, you know, I I have a lot of ideas about fiddling around in the pipe tobacco area. And I, I, the, the one that you tasted, you know, I, um, I was able to get, you know, barrel aging is a big thing with beer nowadays. Well, I guess always it's been used to be everything was barrel aged because everything was put in a barrel. But uh, before they had stainless steel. But um, you know, I, I, so I managed to get a get a, a Perique barrel stave, and I I cut out sections of the stave and aged a coffee stout on on the uh, inside of the barrel of the stave, and uh, it really, really I, I had 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 saved a certain portion of the beer just as the coffee stout and then had a certain amount of it that I aged on the uh, Perique barrel and it changed it completely. Yeah. And literally, I think it was only on that barrel wood for like four days, (laughs) but whatever, you know, it could be any number of things. You know, there was definitely the fermentation of the Perique the juices of the tobacco, the sugars in the tobacco, um, uh, in that barrel and, the, and just, but you also, you know, you also have that bacteria and stuff in there too. So I don't know if, if there was enough sugar in the beer at that point for it to wake any of that up, but man, the changes that happened in that beer were amazing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it, it, it was not something I would recommend if you'd never smoked a pipe before, or never, <laughs> or, or you know, or a cigar or anything, it was, it, it definitely delivered nicotine. <laughs> a friend of mine, he was just a, kind of touched around on pipe smoking or whatever. He he drank a twelve ounce bottle of it. I bottled some of it, brought it, and uh, yeah, he. It was about like if he would, had sat and inhaled an entire cigar. He was <laughs> cigaring the bottle. <laughs> but in the pipe world, when I was, I I, I brought some to, to um, uh, some to. It was not the pipe show. I think it was the grand opening of Briarworks in Columbia, Tennessee, and uh, was giving it to some people. They were like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's, but, it's, but it tasted great. 
and but you just you know yeah it, it was it was something you know you drank very small amounts of yeah thank um, you because um, <laughs> i had about a pint of it and boy i'll tell you um, <laughs> yeah uh, how do you how do you control the alcohol content and how do you even know what the alcohol content is in a in a home brew well uh you control it uh, in your in your recipe uh each of these grains you you have a pretty good idea of how much sugar you're fermentable sugar you're going to extract from the grains you know there's all the the calculations again yep. or the apps or websites that you can go to um, and so what you're what you're doing is you, uh, you're testing what's called specific gravity so you you literally have lab equipment you know and you in your you take some of this wart out and then you 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 drop this gauge in that is weighted and it's weighted uh zero is is what sterilized water it, it'll float and then at zero okay. that's what sterilized water is so then when you you drop this 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 gauge in uh where it's floating tells you how much uh, basically how much sugars are in the water because it's heavier you know so this thing's coming up out of the water higher you know okay so it's all it's all marked and so you so you test that before you usually test it before you boil and then because uh then after you boil and because what you're doing when you boil is you're you're boiling off water so it's getting more dense so the sort of in, that, in, the, in the one before the boil, it's not necessary, really, but it's just something that kind of lets you know, like, what's happening in the boil and how much water you're losing. And it's, it's just good for reference later on. Um, but then, uh, you know, or if you're trying to hit a specific number uh, before you go into fermentation. Uh, you'll you'll know. All right. Well, if I boil this a little longer, I can get I can actually get to the number I was trying to get to before, or whatever. Then you know how, that you've got the right amount of sugars uh, for your calculations. Then uh, you ferment, and then you do that same test again, and those sugars get fermented out. And so then the uh, uh, the gauge gets closer to the the weight of sterilized water okay. so then you take those two figures between after the boil and after fermentation and there's a calculation you do between them and that tells you what the alcohol volume is so you can you can make some fairly high alcohol content or you could make it even lower if you wanted to but then you might risk losing some of the flavor and some of the strength of the beer yeah I, it's it's interesting because um, because you know alcohol has a flavor, and and also it gives a body and mouthfeel to the beer. So, um, you know, so so, so usually ha higher alcohol beers have a, have a kind of a thicker, creamier mouthfeel. Yeah. You would think that 
alcohol would do that was when you know what pure alcohol is like you're like how why would that, that do this to a beer but it does so i'm not really <laughs> sure how that works what the science behind that is and um you know and it has a flavor and it can it can enhance or it can detract so you're just you're trying to find the right balance of flavors and alcohol volume so that it has so that it's doing something pleasant and not harsh and stringent. Are there uh, are are there beers that or styles or experiments that you've tried that have failed? Yeah, um, I did a. Uh, I haven't had a lot. The, the thing that's interesting is is that you know you you've got a lot of leeway in that as long as you're keeping things clean. Um, and it's not getting contaminated, it's still probably going to be a pretty decent beer, even if it's not what you're going for. Okay. You know, it's going to be something that's going to be, yeah, that's okay, you know. Um, but, you know, what you're really trying to do is to get, have a vision for something and try to get that, you know, to be really good. And uh, I think, you know, in the earlier stages of, of brewing i had a few that just i did some things wrong i used to uh you know i boiled my wort with the lid on the kettle which is bad because like we were talking about bms the dimethyl sulfide the, the precursors to that if you don't let it boil off it'll collect on your lid and then they fall back into your beer and then you have and you have off flavors and there's a lot of things that cause off flavors but you know that was a hard lesson learned i had never read it anywhere not to put the lid on your kettle so i <laughs> so after that i i read what the problem was after i stopped doing that well that changed things you know <laughs> and things got better and, um but i did a uh, i did a pecan pie porter and that was yeah, that was about as close to dumping a batch of beer that I've that I've got. It just did not work out. At all. No. <laughs> just, just uh, I did something wrong, and I don't know. It just had a ton of ton of issues. It just was not right. Recently, I did a big batch of this IPA before I moved, and so it wasn't. I I made the mistake of brewing on a day where i had something to do that evening and i had to get it done and i was having some problems so it was taking longer and so i just like uh, you know i had a ton of hops in it and they were clogging up my cooler cooling system trying to cool the wort down to get it into the into the fermenter so i because you can't pitch yeast when it's too hot it kills all the yeast and it was it was just not having it i was having all these problems and i had to get ready and leave somewhere so i just like forget it and i just dumped it straight in the fermenter sealed the fermenter up shoved it you know off in a i had this cold bathroom that i used to use a lot down in, downstairs that i would throw my fermenters in and uh, and then left and basically called my wife like two days later i'm like hey um I need you to pitch some yeast into that. It's <laughs> like, what? Oh, man. So I had to walk her through, like, doing it, keeping everything sterile. Because I didn't have time. You know, it was, it was too hot when I left. I couldn't couldn't uh, do anything about it. So 
in all that, then I, we sell our house, you know, this thing is still kind of fermenting out. I, I move it to the new house and it's kind of sitting in this room and it's too hot. You know, just, just everything was completely wrong. And, uh, and it was a 10 gallon batch too. So I pulled two kegs off and one <laughs> of them ended up being okay. It was like, well, oh, this is okay. By the time I got around to the other one, it was just, it was terrible. And I was like, nah, just, just too many things went wrong and I had to dump it. But, and that's a bummer when you got to do that. Cause you put a lot of time into it. But, now, let, but let, really, uh, let's talk dollars and cents here. Cause okay. that's where I'm at. Uh, <laughs> if you're doing, excluding all the equipment that you've got, if you're doing five, uh-huh. if you're doing five gallons, how much does that cost you? Do you have an idea? Man, it all depends on what you're making. Well, there you, you know, go. You went, doing... and, you went and screwed up my answer, but thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so if you're if you're making like a stock standard, uh, you know, IPAs are big, so that's a good one to to throw in there. So you do a six percent IPA. You know, you're gonna have. Uh, 14 pounds of grain grains pretty inexpensive you know buck 50 a pound maybe at the most buck 20 a pound for for your for your uh, uh, base grains um, your hops you know you know you're, you're you're really only you're looking at for a five gallon batch Altogether, if you, if you had to buy, I, I'd try to harvest yeast and reuse it several times. Uh, but if you're buying the yeast, uh, you know, you may have 25 bucks in a five-gallon batch. But five-gallon batch is pretty close to 50 beers, so, 50 12-ounce pours. So excluding the cost of the equipment and the and the utilities to heat and clean and do all that stuff, you can you can make yourself a good beer for quite a savings. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, for sure. Now now I'm assuming the equipment is not exactly cheap to get started, but yeah, how much yeah. how much yeah, space how much space does all this stuff take up and and how many wives are going to get mad at us for wanting to buy all this stuff and bring it home? <laughs> well, if you have someone guiding you in in what you're doing, you can get off pretty cheap and you can make really good beer. And because the truth of the matter is all you need is a, you need a good kettle and preferably you're going to want a 10 gallon kettle. Uh, some people start with eight gallon, but the problem is if you want to step your game up a little bit, an eight gallon becomes obsolete really quick. Uh, so 10 is the best. And, you know, depending on, you know, where you get that, preferably stainless steel, um, you can do aluminum. They're cheaper. Eh, there's a lot of, you know, some people say, oh, no, that taints your beer with this, that, and the other. You know, it's kind of like there's a lot of lore <laughs> in this world as well as there is in the pipe world. Yeah. And so eh, is that true? Is it not true? I don't really know. Best thing is your biggest expense is going to be 10-gallon stainless steel pump. Okay, so 
you can do most of this with one pot. Uh, if you, you can do what's called the brew-in-a-bag method where there's a nylon mesh bag that you can put your grains in. It almost becomes like a giant tea bag. Ooh. And then you you can do your 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 grains like that, pull them out, get all the water out, squeeze the water out, you know, you hang it above the, the pot. And you, and you need a burner. You need, you need a way to heat it. So, uh, you know, some kind of propane burn is usually how people do it. Um, and, you know, you need a big spoon that you can stir it with and just things like that. And then you need something to ferment in. Now, you can, uh, they make, go to a homebrew supply place, they make these plastic buckets that seal up and you use a little airlock on top to keep, uh, so that the CO2 can get out and, and nothing, no bad air can get in. And that's cheap. So, you, know, you can do it like that. Then you need some way to, uh, need some way to get it from your fermenting bucket uh, either into a bottle or into a keg. And so, you know, there's siphon hoses and things. I mean, you can buy full kits like that from, say, Northern Brewer or a place called More Beer on, on the web or local homebrew shops. You can get into something that would get you, you know, you you could you could brew good beer with it for you know two hundred bucks. So there you go, another another hobby yeah. for us, and uh, and I'm glad you pointed out some some sources for us to go to. Uh, Jody, I know you, I I know you're not as we're recording this. I know you're not on the road, and you know everybody's hunkered <laughs> down. So <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully you're getting a chance to maybe brew some stuff to help pass the time a little bit but uh (laughs) thanks for coming on and doing this with me well i hope uh somebody finds it interesting i you know i I have a tendency to 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 geek out on these things and can get a little little boring if you're not into it but hopefully you got something good out of it (laughs) well and maybe one day we'll talk to you about roasting coffee because uh aren't you you're still goofing around with that sometimes right well yeah i died all the coffee we drink here gets roasted here (laughs) so and and now that you start down that road you it's hard to go back so (laughs) you know that i've been doing for pretty close to 15 years so So maybe if uh if you want to hear about that, let me know and uh, you know, email me and I'll uh, and I'll bug Jody again and we'll come back and talk about that. But uh, thanks for doing that and don't forget I've got a uh, I've got a pipe that I want you to make for me. <laughs> Sounds good. I won't forget it. There is a gentle nudge. So uh, once again, uh, Jay Davis, Fine Pipes, Jody. Thanks for coming on and doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. It's always always fun talking to you. And we both want to wish everyone a happy Easter, happy Passover, stay safe out there, and that's just some food for thought.